Welcome to the NFL Draft, Raiders fans, and the Silver and Black Pridecast. This is Levi Damien, and I am joined, as usual, by my cohort, Tyler Smith, a.k.a. Raider Domus. I am out at Raiders headquarters for the duration of the draft, just as I am um, every season. And Tyler is actually out at the actual draft in Nashville. So before we really get going on talking about the Raiders picks and uh, and all that, Tyler, so how was how was it out there in Nashville at the draft? It was fantastic. The, the streets were absolutely full. There was hundreds of thousands of people all over the city. It was packed to the gills. People are excited. People are hyped. They're they're happy. Everything is fantastic out here. I was stuck in the the uh, NFL media pavilion with about a thousand other journalist nerds. So it was it was terrific. It was a dream come true for me. I had a great time. Yeah, it looked like it was a blast. Um, I, I like the the moving the draft around the way that they do and about it about it being like on the street. Um, of course, being out on the street has a, has its drawbacks. It was I guess pouring down rain there in Nashville for a little while. Did you get caught up in some of that? I certainly did because the bathrooms are outside. So anytime you need to go, you have to go outside of the tent and you have to go down there in the street and, and you get caught in the storm. Um, but at least I wasn't out there in front of the stage because uh, those people got rained on for hours on end. First world problems, my friend. The struggle is real. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So out at HQ, it's uh, pretty much the same business as usual. You know, it's kind of a lot of hurry up and wait. And, and we hurried up and waited very little time to see the Raiders make their first pick, even though a lot of us, uh, a lot of us thought they might try to trade out of that first pick, trade down a little bit. I was one of them in my, my only two round mock draft with trades. I had them trading down to eight and picking up Cleland Farrell. Well, they, uh, they either didn't get a deal that they wanted enough to make that move, or they just didn't think that if they moved down, their guy would still be there. And their guy was clearly Cleveland Farrell. And you can see why, in, in my opinion, a lot of people were pretty upset they took him that high. Um, it's a bit, it seems like a bit of a reach, but if you if that's your board and you trust your board and you're not watching the mock drafts and you're thinking, you know, based on what our intel says, if we're going to get our guy, we got to get him here. Um, you you go for it, and he's. It's pretty clear to see why he's their guy. He's highly productive, two-time national champion, Ted Hendricks Award winner. Uh, he's he's got a great personality as a leader on that team. He um, and he's just the perfect fit for Paul Gunther's style of de- for his defense and his the style of defensive end that he likes. After Quinn Williams went off the board, I'm not surprised that the uh, trade down options sort of went by the wayside that would be the guy that you would want to trade up for if you're another team so once the Jets made that move I think the Raiders were more or less locked into to being at pick four um the Redskins obviously didn't want to move up because they thought Haskins would be there when when they were on the on the clock and they were correct about that and Haskins lasted until them so obviously he wasn't that big of a priority to the Raiders or anyone else uh so I I can see why the Raiders had to stay at four but once they made that pick of Farrell, there were Raider fans. They showed on the on the TV screen going, who? Who's this guy? And I, I'll tell you, anybody who doesn't know who Cleveland Farrell is does not watch college football. Because Cleveland Farrell 
was, at the end of last season, the best and finest base 4-3 defensive end in the entire country. He's a fantastic pass rusher. He's good against the run. Uh, he dominated Jonah Williams in the college football playoff game to win the national title. And as much press as Dexter Lawrence and uh, Christian Wilkins get, Cleveland Farrell is the best player on the Clemson defensive line and has been for three years running. So he was one of my top five favorite players in this draft. Um, I could not tell you why mock drafters had him down in the 15-16 range. Uh, maybe he didn't have the sort of explosive combine a guy like Montez Sweat had, uh, but we saw that Montez Sweat fell pretty far in this draft. And I, I don't really think it had anything to do with his hard condition. Uh, so I think Farrell went about where he should have gone. And I think it's the fault of these mock drafters and, and pundits for, for sliding him down on their drafts and making this look like it was bad value when I don't really think that it was. I think Farrell should have been a top five pick all along, and it turned out that he was, and I'm quite happy with it. Well, the a couple of things that struck me about what you just said was that with Quentin Williams off the board, they didn't have there wasn't anybody up there that anybody be worth would be dying to jump up and get. And that's funny you say that because in that same second round, uh, that same two round mock draft I had, I had the had them trading down to eight with the Bills, and that was what the Bills were jumping up to get was Clay, was uh, was Quentin Williams. So I think that you're you're definitely onto something with that about the the top pieces on the board and Nick Bosa and Quentin Williams being gone. There just wasn't um, anybody dying to give up, you know, extra picks in their draft to get to get that that spot. Um, I I do think there's a fairly good possibility that Farrell would have still been available at eight overall, but who really knows? And uh, you know. And again, you know, if you if you're worried, if that's your guy, and you're worried if you were to go back, you know, four picks or or more than that, and have him still be there, you you got to take your shot. And, and it's funny, you said that at the draft when they said Cleveland Farrell and the Raider fans were like, "Who?" and it's like, "Okay, okay, okay." You know, you can not like the pick, but if you say "Who" to Cleveland Farrell, you res- you lose all your right to criticize any of this because if you don't know who he is, I mean, granted, he's, he's not, he's not like a quarterback. He's not Kyler Murray or something like that who would become a household name, but I mean, come on twice in the last three years was he on the national championship team and he was the best defensive player on that team by everyone's admission and including the people on the, the, that Clemson team. So he's pretty much been in the spotlight a lot. He's, you won't find a guy with more consistent production and improvement and accolades than Cleveland Farrell is now. So it's not like he could possibly have flown under the radar in any of this. Yeah. I mean, people were, were all about Josh Allen and rightly so. Josh Allen's a fantastic pass rusher, but Josh Allen is also primarily a three, four outside linebacker. Uh, which the Raiders don't particularly need. What they needed was a, a base 4-3 end. And outside of, of Nick Bosa, you're not going to find one better than Cleveland Farrell. And Farrell also doesn't bring the sort of character or durability concerns that Bosa brings to the table. So I think he's a safer pick. I think in the long run, he might be a better pick. The, it's funny about Josh Allen, though. I mean, he was considered, like, throughout the entire draft process, he was a lock for the top five. Like, I mean, that's, you could ask anybody. I don't think there was anyone who, uh, 
who saw him as anything but an absolute top five pick, if not a top three pick. He was in the top three of most mock drafts for the, like for months. But when the draft got here, he falls to seventh, which was, I think, surprised a lot of people that he fell that far. But it really comes back to fit. You know, these 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 picks, you got to figure that nothing's a lock when you're they could range by five. And it doesn't mean that there are worse players, just the right team wasn't there. And the Raiders were the right team for Cleveland Farrell, not for Josh Allen, who's a three, four outside linebacker. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure he's ever played with his hand in the dirt. He's always stand up. And, and so he waited, waited until either there was a team that was a perfect fit or that he was far enough down the board that a team just said, I don't care. And just took him because of what he, when, you know, what the kind of talent he brought, but the Raiders weren't in that desperation mode. Um, They saw, as Mike Mayock said, um, they thought that Nick Bosa and Cleveland Farrell were the top two edge rushers uh, and that were on the same level on their board. And that's their board. That doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means it's, it's theirs. It's the fit for their team, for what they're looking for, what they need. And uh, so while at the while I I think I gave it a B in our initial grades, that was just for the fact that hey, you would like to see you would like to see them drop down a few picks and pick up some extra ones because they don't have any third round picks and and it would be nice to get one. Um, but everything else says he's the right he's the right pick. So all right, moving on, we uh, uh, waited a little while although it didn't seem like too long in, in my world because there was just so much to do with regard to Cleveland Farrell um, in the interim that uh, next thing you know, it was the 24th pick. The Raiders were back on the clock, and they selected Josh Jacobs, the guy that pretty much everyone, they went from the guy that really no one had them taking at fourth overall, including myself, who had them taking him, but only after a slight trade back to the guy that everyone thought they were going to take at 24th overall, Josh Jacobs out of Alabama as the top running back in the class. I personally didn't think that that was um, who they would take because I didn't think it was that, that great of a selection only because I didn't think there was enough separation between him and the other backs in the class, even for a team that had a need the way the Raiders do at the running back position that I thought that going with another position um, in the first round, especially at the 20 at 20 at their next pick was uh, the right way to go. And, you know, of course could be proven wrong once all the, all the cards are laid out and all the, uh, these running backs uh, test their uh, test, the NFL, of course, we're only to the first round. So we don't know where the rest of that class is going to go. And uh, he could prove to be worth every, every bit that pick, but uh, in the initial response, I was thinking, I um, I was looking at the board and I was thinking, uh, Marquise Brown's still up there. Um, shockingly, Montez Sweat is still up there, and doubling up on a defensive end is not a bad thing. And getting a, a receiver of the caliber of Marquise Brown is not a bad thing, even with the with the focus on receiver in free agency the way that they did. What was your uh, thought on the on their pick of Josh Jacobs? I'm not a huge Josh Jacobs fan, um, and, but with the retirement of, of Marshawn Lynch and, and the realization that basically what we have at running back is Isaiah Crowell and Jalen Richard and 
and DeAndre Washington. Uh, running back is probably a, a, a focus of need in this particular draft. And Josh Jacobs is the only first-round caliber back in this entire draft. And he may be the only uh, back in this draft of the caliber of the first two rounds. Maybe no running back goes today in the, in the, in the second round. Maybe they wait till the third. So I'm, I'm not too upset with it, really. Josh Jacobs is an explosive guy. He's a hard-nosed runner. He's an excellent pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, he, he, if he fills his potential, he'll be everything Darren McFadden should have been. Uh, and McFadden came in with all this fanfare. He was a Heisman contender, and then he he came into Oakland and, and disappointed in a lot of ways. Um, and, and Jacobs is that is that sort of guy. Um, he's the sort of guy who can he can really do damage between the tackles or or on the outside or in the passing game. And he's he's versatile enough to do everything that John Gruden likes from from his uh, running backs. So I think the Raiders will find ways to use him, and I think he'll he'll be good for a long long time. Um, I'm not sure he's on the like, on the quite on the level of some of the other top backs that we've seen lately, like a like a Todd Gurley. But I think he does compare favorably to a guy like Alvin Kamara. Um, you know, when you when you draft an, an Alabama running back, sometimes you get uh, a Mark Ingram type. Sometimes you get Derrick Henry, but sometimes you'll get a T.J. Yeldon. Sometimes you'll get a Trent Richardson. It's really a crapshoot. Um, but I, I think Jacobs um, has a higher floor than a lot of those other guys, um, just because of his ability to catch the ball. Yeah, the the versatility, being a well-rounded running back is what everybody seems to be kind of um, touting when it comes to Jacobs. Uh, I saw some somebody say today that, that he's, only, he's a, pretty much a lock for a 1,000 all-purpose yards. And it's like, well, I mean, honestly, in today's NFL, getting a 1,000 yards when you're combining your rushing and receiving is – it's not really all that hard to do, and if you look at what the, and I don't want to do, I don't, I really don't want to diminish what Jacobs is capable of. Let's let's be clear with that. I I I think it's certainly possible that he could be everything that the Raiders are are looking for, and I know that John Gruden puts a high emphasis on an, on a back's ability to do more than just just run the ball. He's got to be able to protect the quarterback in you know passing downs. He's got to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. He's got to do the little things. And from all in, from all indications, uh, Jacobs does that. I just I think uh, from what I've seen, the her Mayock say that he he pulled out like uh, pulled out what like four plays I think it was four or six plays I can't remember from the national championship game and brought him into to Gruden was like look at this and he had aha moments when it came to Jacobs and and hey I'm not uh, I'm not an evaluator on the level of Mayock or some of these others who had Jacobs really high so I could be dead wrong in in that but I didn't have any aha moments when I watched him and but I I mean I'm I'm focusing mainly on their running ability I do uh I don't have any criticisms for his his abilities as a, as to be a well-rounded back. I do think he is a well-rounded back, but that just means he's going to be starting quality, you know, maybe um, possibly high caliber uh, running back. It doesn't mean he's, he's not going to make you kind of catch your breath the way that a guy like Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott would do in their college tape. Granted, if he was, he probably would have gone a lot higher than 24th in the draft. So, you know, you weigh these things. Uh, so I'm not like I don't want to trash the pick. Um, he wouldn't have been my selection, but that's that's just how it is. And uh, and of course Marquise Brown went with the next pick. And then then Sweat went too. I know it was a, <laughs> a guy the Raiders really liked. So 
you take one guy and you you lose two others. I, I think the biggest drawback with with Jacobs's game is the, the runs a four six, which which may turn some people off. Um, I, I consider field vision and footwork and the ability to find a hole and get through it, and and toughness when you're running a lot more important to a running back than than pure straight line speed. I think it's going to serve you a lot better in the long run because uh, the guys who are super fast like Chris Johnson, well, they ain't playing right now. Um, but Frank Gore is. Frank Gore is slower than me, <laughs> but, uh-huh. but he's still in the league right now. Uh, and I think Josh Jacobs can be that type of that type of guy and, and hopefully have that type of longevity as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it's, it's certainly, certainly possible. I, I guess you just, I mean, talking about ceilings and floors and stuff like that. I, I certainly, I certainly agree with you that based on his, his style of play and his skill set, he has a higher floor because if he, he doesn't have like glaring weaknesses in, 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 you know, he checks the boxes as they say, then you don't have to take him off the field in certain situations and that he presents a threat in various parts of the parts of the game. And I think he can be at least a serviceable starter for a while. Um, although he doesn't appear to be um, that, that game breaker that, that you see in some of these backs, but uh, who knows? All right. So uh, they didn't have to, they certainly didn't have to wait very long to make their next pick. When they got to the 27th pick, you're thinking, wow, are they really going to go through the entire first round and not trade at all, not make any trades? And that's exactly what they did. Shockingly enough, I thought, I think that the odds were that they were going to, that they're going to make a trade with one of these picks. And they stuck right with the, with the picks they came in with, the 4th, 24th, and the 27th. And that last pick, they got their safety, Jonathan Abram. I like this pick, even though I didn't really have him that much on my radar for reasons I I didn't watch a lot of tape on him um, going into this but I certainly looked at him after after they drafted him and and then I wondered to myself why I wasn't more on the uh, on the on board with with Jonathan Abram as the as the pick because he he's a strong safety that's exactly what they needed he is a, as Gruden called him, sideline to sideline. Um, as Jacob said in, in a conference call, he called him a thumper. That's a great way to describe him. Um, I've seen him described as a hunter, that he will find you and, and destroy you. And that is perfect for what the Raiders need. He can cover some tight ends too. So I think that was a great, that was a great pick at a, at a, I think he went right around the same, right around the range that most had uh, had him projected. He might have been lower on other people's, but the Raiders really liked his character, which is a they put a high emphasis on character on the guys they drafted. So, so they made the pick at twenty seventh and got their got the safety that they needed to pair up with with Carl Joseph. And I think that I think it's a good pick. Uh, my initial reaction to the Jonathan Ingram pick was disgust. Uh, <laughs> not not necessarily at Abram himself, but the fact that they went out and took a player I felt in my initial safety evaluations that they already had in Carl Joseph. The difference between Carl Joseph and Jonathan Abram is essentially five inches of height. <laughs> so I, I thought, why are you taking this guy? And, and I, you know, in my evaluations, I was like, Abram is a fantastic player. You know, he hits like a truck. He's a great strong safety. He's a box safety can really shut down the run, loves to shut down the run, 
excels at punishing people. Um, but I like this is not the type of safety the Raiders need. But when you when you look at Paul Gunther's system, and I thought about this as the night went on, he does not necessarily stick his safeties in the same sort of categories that you might expect or that other coaches do. He just puts two of them out there. And as the night went on, I started to like the pick a little more because I really like Abrams as a player. He's fantastic. He's explosive. He's fast. He's a hard-nosed kind of guy. He's, he's, a, he's a fantastic character. Um, and there, you can't have too many people on your defense who enjoy hitting people because that's the, that's the name of the game. Um, Abrams is, is a good player. He's going to be a good player for a really long time. It's just at, at first I really didn't like it because I thought the, the move was superfluous. Um, but in the end, it may not be. And it, you know, I thought if you're going to pick this guy, why didn't you trade Carl Joseph two months ago when they when they you know brought in so many people and, and took out so many other people? Why why not just make the move ahead of time? But if they like them both, they like them both. I, I think you can't. We can't. None of us can really make the excuse that's to like like just kind of shrug at, um, and say, well, I guess the pick wasn't bad because they liked him. I mean, they, we can't really judge it based on on that measurement. But I don't think he's the same player as Carl Joseph. I think Carl Joseph is better suited as a free safety. Uh, the thing about Joseph is he's just such a well-rounded player that you think he's that that guy that's going to come up and 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 pop you, and he will. But that's not where that's not where he belongs. He doesn't belong up at the line. He belongs roving the 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 deep part of the field and and popping guys out there um because he he has the ability to come up and pop guys at the line doesn't mean that's where he should be that's where i think uh, abram should be and and i think that couple inches of height it also means something a little bit you know you we've noticed that joseph he he's pretty good in coverage but if you can't get up there high enough to get the ball when it's coming to the tight end. You just can't. And Abram is a little bit taller. He is a, he can, he can get up there a little higher and maybe that's all that it takes. I think you know, they have their guy. They want playing closer to the line and on those short intermediate routes from tight ends and backs out of the backfield. And then they have Carl Joseph, who's uh, covering the, uh, he's the ball hawk covering the, the deep part of the field. They, I think that's, that's what's, that's where they, they depart. I, I, I don't, th- I'm not sure it's fair to say that, uh, that they had that in Carl Joseph, just because Carl Joseph has the, uh, has so many abilities. There's a reason why Carl Joseph was widely considered the best safety in his class. And the only reason he fell, I think it was went to the 14th pick was because of his injury. I mean, and if you got a guy who's taken at the 14th pick, despite having a, just suffered a major injury that just shows you how highly thought of he was how he had such a clean game as a safety um abram doesn't have all those abilities that carl joseph does but what he does well is is what the raiders need him to do and what they drafted him to do um and it allows him to put carl joseph where they think he's best suited and where i think he's best suited as as more of a free safety but it's 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 interesting how uh, different people view these things different ways, and and in each instance, I think, except for maybe the the pick of Cleveland Farrell, I think both of us are defending that that he's the right choice. But I don't think either of us are saying unequivocally that 
fourth overall was the right place to take him. And I think that's the complaint that most people have is it's not so much uh, taking Cleveland Farrell. At least I would hope that's not what they're complaining about because for Christ's sake, go look at his tape, go look at his, go look at his numbers, go look at something, um, go watch an interview with a the guy. They, there's, you're not going to be disappointed, but they're just saying they're looking at all these mock drafts and they're saying he was supposed to be in the teens. They could have got him there. He was some mock drafts had him drop into the twenties and, and, but you can become too much of a slave to thinking that everything, the, the boards all have to fall exactly the way the mock drafts happen. Josh Allen was yeah, supposed you to thought, be a top three If you pick. thought Cleland Farrell was the 22nd best player in this draft, you are out of your mind and you don't watch college football. There's, there's no way that that was remotely accurate. No, I, I, I never believed it from the start, honestly. And when I put out my two-round mock draft, and I had them trading down to eight and taking Cleland Farrell. I had people criticizing me, saying, what are you doing? Why, why would you, why'd you make that trade if you're just going to take a guy who's probably going to be there at 24th? And I'm like, well, I don't think he's going to be there at 24th. And quite frankly, I've said from the beginning of the offseason, when, when, these, when these mock drafts first started coming out, I'm like, why do so many of these have him dropping into the teens? Are they seeing something? Am I, are they seeing something I'm not? Or, or what am I missing here? What, what am I missing? Because I see people say that he doesn't have bend. I watch his tape. I see bend. It might not be like that low to the ground Arden Key bend, but how, you know, first of all, how much good did that do Arden Key last year, his bend? I mean, Rashawn Gary is said to have a really good bend, but he can't find the ball to save his life. So what difference does it make? Cleveland Farrell is a, has a, he's a heat-seeking missile, and I've seen him go inside and outside of the tackle equally proficient and just, just leaving the, the tackle standing there wondering what happened. And you, that's the kind of stuff, and I don't want to put him in the category of Khalil Mack, but that's the kind of stuff we watched Khalil Mack do to people where he would, he would go outside, the tackle would protect that, and next thing you know, he's like, where did he go? Because he just he did, he, he put, put on counter move and was straight to the quarterback. And you could see Farrell do stuff, stuff like that. And in his character, you see a guy who is going to continue to work to become the player that he wants to be. He went back to Clemson for an extra season because he wasn't satisfied. He wanted to leave, as he said, a legacy. He said he didn't want to come into the to the NFL as a player that still needed to develop. He wanted to be developed by the time he came out out of school. And he was rewarded, and he rewarded his team as well with a second national championship in that uh, by going back. So. Um, for all the cautionary tales we see about players who went back to college when they could have come to the NFL, this is one of the success stories. One of the instances where, where you can say, look at this guy, he made the right move. And based on his, uh, his character, you can see why um, that was an informed decision. Yeah. I, I really think Farrell's a total package as a, as a four, three defensive end. You're not going to find a lot of people in any draft who are, are more polished and more productive than him. I, I really I really like the pick. You maybe you could have traded down and still got him, maybe not. Who knows? I, I wouldn't I, I'm comfortable with them not taking the risk and just taking Farrell there. Well it takes two to tango, as we're talking about. Like you uh it's like the Raiders can't just decide, I'm gonna trade down. It's like, well, who are you gonna trade with? Somebody's gotta be on that phone giving you pro- um proper compensation or any compensation, that phone's got to be ringing for the team that wants to move up 
and get a player. And uh, if it wasn't ringing, then uh, the first, the next quarterback to come off the board was the Giants taking Daniel Jones. You think anybody was going to be trading up to take Daniel Jones? No, I don't. I think a lot of people were like, "What? What are you? What are you doing?" I mean, you want to talk about a pick that's going to that infuriated a lot of people. Whoever was uh, up in arms about Cleveland Farrell at four, uh, you keep watching a couple of picks, and you'll uh, you'll feel a lot better about that one. <laughs> I ranted sure. about the Giants a couple of weeks ago. Uh, how much of a bunch of idiots they are, and I was right, as usual. You did. Raider Domus was in like full crystal ball mode in that podcast because because i remember saying wow this uh this episode of giants hate is brought to you by haterade for quenching that hate thirst and and, because you went after him and boy did they deserve it taking daniel jones at six overall i mean honestly i had them taking daniel jones but i didn't have them taking him at six overall and i didn't have them taking him after just a small little trade back i had them I had them trading up from their 17th pick, but only because in my, I, I saw a run on quarterbacks because in most of these drafts you do, you see a run on quarterbacks and then you see these teams that are lower say, Oh my God. Oh crap. I got to get up there and get my guy before somebody else does. And so they overpay, they trade up for a guy. They, they may or may not have been able to get at that, uh, at their pick, their lower pick, but they just went for it. They, um, they wanted Daniel Jones, Apparently more than the guy who threw 50 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards and was a statue-ass quarterback at Ohio State. They wanted Daniel Jones more than him, so so they got him. I Speaking think it's going to be their E.J. Manuel pick. I, I really do. <laughs> I don't see this. This is not going to end well for the Giants. So you can say to yourself, at least the Raiders aren't doing stuff like that because when they in 2014, when they could have done that, when they could have overdrafted Derek Carr because they needed a quarterback – they held off. They got Khalil Mack. They waited. They didn't even trade up back into the bottom part of the first round to get Derek Carr. They credit to Reggie McKenzie for that one, for the kind of patience that he showed to wait and get his guy at the top of the second round because uh, the Giants certainly have not shown any kind of patience close to that. But speaking of trades up, who knows what the future does hold? The Raiders had the 35th pick, and last night, Mike Mayock said that they've fielded several calls of teams looking to trade up um, to get him to trade out, trade down with that 35th pick. And, and I got to think that he doesn't make that statement public and unless there's a reason behind it. And usually that reason is, Hey, Hey, you teams out there who called us last night about uh, making that um, to trade us for that pick, you're not alone in wanting that. So if you want to be the team that we pick, you better up your, your game and give us something a little bit to make it a little more worth our while. Although I'm sure it really depends a lot on how the first couple picks in the second round go to see if uh, those teams are still on board with making that trade up. The fact that Mayak didn't trade out yesterday uh, tells me that teams were trying most likely to give him the same softball BS offers they gave Reggie McKenzie in years past. Like they say trading down from three in, uh, in 2013, uh, with the with the Dolphins, the Dolphins trade up for Dion Jordan of all people, but they, they didn't really give the Raiders a whole lot in in compensation. And the Cardinals also traded up for for Josh Rosen last year with the Raiders, and didn't give the Raiders a whole lot in compensation to to get their quarterback, which is absurd. Um, but if Mayock doesn't trade out, it means the deal isn't good enough. 
to trade out. And Mayock isn't just going to give away a pick, which is it makes me feel pretty good uh, mm. you know, about, about him and, and where the Raiders are standing right now. If you want a Raiders pick, you better give them the moon. Yeah, uh, and I know there's a lot of teams who are wanting 35 because there are so many yeah. good players left. You got you got uh, Byron Murphy corner there, Greedy Williams the corner there, Drew Locke is still on the board. If he's a quarterback, go get the guy from Missouri, but you're gonna have to pay the Raiders for it. Well, or the team, or a team above the Raiders. That's, right. Yeah, that's that's where it kind of matters what happens in those first couple of picks. But you're right, there are a lot of players, I and mean, you mentioned Byron Murphy as a. Uh, and Greedy Williams. I mean, every mock I saw had those guys as first-round picks for sure. I, I, a lot of people had them going to the Raiders in one of their picks at 24 and 27. So to have them still on the board, I could see a lot of teams clamoring to to uh, jump up and get them. And I think they're, as far as the Raiders and the cornerback position, I don't see them making that high priority in this draft. And they got their, their safety that they needed. Um, they – when they got LaMarcus Joyner and um, Nevin Lawson in, in free agency, I think they pretty much, they pretty much clamped it down right there. They had their cornerback situation uh, settled for the most part, certainly to the point where they're not going to take one in their first four picks. So teams that are looking to, you know, which are most teams looking to upgrade their cornerback position. There are some damn good ones on the board. And, uh, and they're they're going to be talking to the Raiders about getting that, coming up and getting the, getting that guy, and and they're going to have to pay a little bit. You know, it's like uh, you admire what Mayock did in getting Antonio Brown and not not overpaying the Steelers, waiting it out and getting him for a third and a fifth. Well, now they're out a third, and they need to get. He wants to get that third round pick back. Yes, he he certainly does. And there's about uh, there's. Uh, there's about uh, four or five wide receivers that I felt could have gone in the first round yesterday that didn't. The only one who did go was Marquise Brown. Uh, so they're all still on the board. Uh, I, got, I saw him mocked in the first round a lot. Rocky Asin from Temple, the cornerback, he's still there. Amarouye from Penn State, probably butchered his name, but he's still there. Amani Hooker's still there. There's just both edge rushers, Zach Allen and Jalen Ferguson, are still there. The Raiders, if they want to stay, will have their pick of any of those guys. And if they want to move out, uh, several of them will probably still be there, and they'll pick up a couple extra picks for their trouble. Uh, so the Raiders are in a pretty good spot where they are. And if you want to go get one of those guys, well, you're going to have to pay up. It's kind of crazy to think that they might actually get the same compensation to move up to the 35th pick as they would for somebody who was trying to move up to the 27th pick, just based solely on the sheer amount of really good prospects still on the board them having the third pick in in the round there is a well it's not just a very good chance they're guaranteed that there are going to be several very good first round caliber pro- prospects on the board at the 35th pick that teams are going to be looking to jump up and get and what that would mean is probably dropping down lower in the second round which is fine and picking up Odds are a third round pick, and that's what they need. They don't. They don't. I don't think they want to be out in the cold watching all these good players on uh, on the at the end of day two going elsewhere, because there's a lot of great talent to be had there. There's a reason why. There's a reason why uh, Mayock said he wants play. He wants the, he likes this draft and he wants players in that range there, because you know they're all kind of fringe 
first round prospect quality players. And if you're talking and it basically just kind of depends on what each team values the most, you know, you know what the Raiders are going to be able to get is a player that may not be uh, in the first round, a first round talent or a high second round talent on a lot of team sports, but for their needs, for their team, for their values, he is, there's going to be a guy there uh, even when they trade down in the second and they're going to get another, uh, another mid round pick in the process. And that would be, that would be good to see, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we're sitting here at 35 and the pick is in and, and again, and they just still haven't moved because that, that's, that's what they did in the first round. And it was a little bit surprising when we saw all these uh, predicting trades as difficult as that can be was all for not. They, they didn't move. They, they used their picks um, where they were and went with that. So we have, we have that to look forward to at least the 35th pick, perhaps more on as day two comes up. So uh, I guess Tyler, enjoy day two in Nashville. I'm a little bit jealous. I'm a lot jealous, actually. I know you're having a lot of fun out there. It's all work for me. I look forward to seeing what the Raiders do and the rest of the NFL, for that matter, as day two goes. Yeah, we'll talk again after, after day two is complete. There'll be a lot to talk about. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Enjoy day two of the 2019 NFL draft. I know I will. I know Tyler will. And we'll talk to you again later on this Silver and Black Pridecast.